Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I can't say I'm surprised that Mike Evans' suspension was affirmed by James Thrash, the man that was chosen by the NFL and the NFLPA, of course, to uh, handle the appeal. I saw his response, and, you know, the response by his agent, which, you know, listen, on the one hand, I understand there has been probably more egregious type actions on the field. But a couple things here not the least of which is this is not the first time Mike Evans has been involved in this situation with the exact same player. Um, So if you didn't learn your lesson the first time when you were suspended a game, and that was back in 2017, they're going to enforce it this time. And as much as anything that went on on the field, the coming off the sideline, all of that, I think the biggest thing is just that you've done this before. We suspended you before for this very same thing against this very same player. And, Optics are what's important to the NFL. Mike really didn't have a defense. Did you, know, did you escalate the situation? Did you hit an unsuspecting player? All that stuff. The answers to most of that was yeah. Yeah, but. But the NFL you know, just isn't going to listen to it. They're just not going to have it. And it's unfortunate because... You know, this is... All these top four... These first four games are really tough. This home opener against the Packers... Is, is extremely tough. And when you look at the state of the Bucks' wide receiver room with so many guys that are hurt, they brought in Cole Beasley. We'll talk about him in just a second on the practice squad. I, I'm not sure, you know, Tom Brady has gone out there with this group before and won games like he did last year against the Jets, I think it was, you know, and maybe to some degree against the Buffalo Bills when Brashard Perriman had the walk-off. Cyril Grayson against the Jets. But honest to goodness, as we as we do this podcast and preparing it for Thursday's show, I'm not sure who's going to be available. I mean, listen, in addition to Mike Evans being suspended, Chris Godwin doesn't appear like he's going to play. Julio Jones doesn't practice on Wednesday, so we'll see today whether or not he's even in the mood to do that much. You know, and then the other, other receivers that they have, including Brashard Perriman and Russell Gage and, and Scotty Miller, who has a calf injury, all those guys were limited. They weren't even full go. So listen, there's a reason why they signed a Cole Beasley who has you know, been on the street since March simply because they are running low, and it's inconceivable with all the receivers they have signed in the offseason, but they're running low of healthy bodies and guys that know how to play. And no surprise, Tom Brady wants to turn to an experienced veteran. They're not buying green bananas, as I say every day. And so Cole Beasley is a guy, and we had a chance to talk to him on Wednesday, and said, you know, I've, I've always wanted to play for Tom Brady. And, you know, he was humbled by the fact that he was released in March with one year left on his contract with the Buffalo Bills. He didn't have, you know, he's one of these guys that was sort of an anti-vaxxer, missed a game when he got COVID, that sort of thing. But not a single team picked him up until now 
after two weeks into the regular season. So you, you wonder about that to some degree. He looks and he may have to play. Hell, I may have to, Steve, you may have to play. I don't know who they got at receiver, to be honest with you. I remember with Richard Sherman last year, he came in and yeah. you know, they said, oh, he's going to come in and you know he'll you know train and practice for a few weeks. And he played three games in 11 days. Yeah, because they he played they the whole him. game. Yeah, he, I remember him coming in on a Wednesday, and he and we said something like, "Do you think it's you know you could play this?" And I go, "Oh, that would be uh, unrealistic to think that I could mm-hmm. play, you know, with just three days of practice." He played three games in eleven days, <laughs> with but no practice. But that's the reason Tom Brady and the Bucks want veterans. That's why they're not going out and finding rookies. They want veterans. That's right. Because these guys, while they may not know every play in the playbook, they may you know, but. They know how to play football. So much football, right? And and mm. you know that's what Tom Brady's looking for. Is look, we're if we're bringing some guy this week, and he's going to have to play. It's yeah. not going to be some you know undrafted rookie that's on the sideline. It's going to be someone who's got experience, and we can get him up to speed enough with enough plays, enough you know, you know throws that he's going to be ready for me. And that's why you sign a Cole Beasley. That's why you know, and we talked about this yesterday. It's not out of the realm of possibility they go after an OBJ at some point if the receiver. Oh, well, that's going to happen. You know, if they that's haven't already. Happen. I mean, you know, yeah. That, that if the depth stays this way, that you know they're going to be looking to other veteran receivers like that to sign. Absolutely, absolutely, and and listen, Cole Beasley said, you know, he doesn't know he'll be willing to do whatever they ask him to do, but all he can do is learn the game plan. He's not going to learn the playbook in a couple of days. But in some ways, it's easier because you're not trying to. You're just trying to learn your role, uh, if there is a role for you on in the game. And he hasn't really worked with Brady. Brady, by the while, I thought this was interesting. You know, last week Ian Rapoport had this report that you know Tom Brady's going to take every Wednesday off, and, and that sounds okay. He didn't start doing that until like week eleven of a year ago. But we know, forty-five year old Tom Brady is a different cat than than he's been in the past. So you're like, okay, well, maintenance day, sure, one a week. Who cares what day it is? Well, lo and behold, uh, on his podcast with Jim Gray, he was like, well, I've missed every Christmas and every New Year's, and it's not, I can't miss a day of practice. Well, that's not what anybody was alleging. But guess who was at practice on Wednesday? <laughs> Tom Brady. So much for Wednesdays off. Now, he may have very well been limited. He was thrown with some of his, you know, quarterback teammates and i don't know who ran the team drills versus you know all the other stuff they do the patent goes and the seven on sevens and all that i don't know because we're not allowed to be out there but it was almost sort of a oh really you don't think i you you think i'm i'm soft you think i'm taking a day off during the week because you know that's what we're doing now well watch this you know i Uh, I more like it as i took it more like I'm not happy with our performance. That's exactly how it really is. That's how it really is, right there. And Brady's way to work through that is to throw more. To, absolutely. You know, and, Time and, on task with his guys. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. He wants more reps with whoever's catching the balls. That's he, right. You know, I, you know, and maybe maybe there's a little bit of it to, you know, look, I'm not that soft. But, I, you know, to me, Brady, it's more about our performance hasn't been good enough offensively. Right. Whatever the reasons, drop passes, the offensive line, he's not throwing mm-hmm. it well enough. Whatever, whatever he thinks the reason is, or all of the above, that we're going to work through this. That that's the way he does it. it. It's more throws, more time on the field. That's what he's done his whole career. Yep, I I totally agree. I think that's Tom uh, being very dissatisfied with the zero points in the first half, 
the drop balls. They lead the NFL. It's not an official stat, but they lead the NFL with 10 drop passes. Not all of those by receivers, by the way. Some by tight ends, running backs, that sort of thing. But nonetheless, 10 is the number. And we saw how furious he got during the game, throwing the tablet and all of that. And so he wants to go out here and, and you know, try to drill down and, and try to get better. You know, the execution um, has to be there. And the only way he knows how to get better is to practice. So, again, I don't know how much he did. I know he'll do probably more today and then Friday. Um, but it was interesting. It was sort of a, you know, oh, there's all these reports out here that I'm not practicing. Well, watch this. You know, he has a little bit of watch this in him. Um, but I feel like he, he felt he needed to work, and, and so he got it. But, yeah, uh, you know, goodness, I mean, they, they have a lot of injuries on this football team, and they put some guys on IR as well. Josh Wells goes on IR, their left tackle. Uh, he came out of the game the other day with a calf injury. And Giovanni Bernard, you know, their fourth running back, I guess you would say, who was hurt an awful lot last season, also placed on IR. So neither of those guys really eligible to come back for about four weeks. We'll see, you know, if and when they need them. But I think... You know, what you have here is the oldest football team in the NFL. We talked about this the other night, 27.1 years old on average. And the guys that are getting hurt, including Akeem Hicks, who's going to miss four weeks, it would appear, with the um, plantar uh, fascia you know, injury. Um, you've got older players getting hurt. And, you know, we asked we asked Todd Bowles about that. He goes, well, there's a young guy got hurt, Zion McCallum. Well, I, I watched Zion McCallum. He, yeah, he pulled his hamstring at a very hot day in Tennessee. Those can happen to anybody. And, frankly, injuries can happen to anybody when you're playing in the National Football League. But, boy, oh, boy, doesn't it seem like because of the makeup of the roster, every single guy that gets hurt is well into is into his 30s. Isn't almost and, every and guy in the roster well into because his 30s? That's, yeah, right. Because, yeah, essentially, yeah. But but for the ones that aren't that old, they're all predominantly healthy. You know, look, Chris Godwin is a young player, and, and he tore his ACL a year ago, and now he's got a, a bad hamstring. So it's not universal, right? But it's glaring when you have such an older roster and those guys start dropping, especially at the receiver position. So um, still a young man's game. I don't think there's any denying that. You got to have some luck. If those guys are going to make it, they got to stay healthy. And you know, right now they're just they're kind of not not there. I mean, I, listen, I I don't know that Donovan Smith is coming back. Um, with Wells gone, you you know, I mean, there's there's all kinds of new out there around Tom Brady. When you really break down the offense, and even Leonard Fournette was a very sore man. He came in after that game and lifted for 20 minutes, he said, just to help get some of the soreness out. Um, but Rashard White's got to start doing something. You know, there's these young players on this team are going to have to start showing up. So it's just real interesting, man. Like, there is never a dull moment this year out there, I'm telling you. And then Bruce Arians gets a sideline warning. I bet that's never happened before to him. <laughs> really? A sideline warning? Well, probably not formally from the NFL, but. Oh, I imagine he's had a letter or two somewhere along the line, but maybe, maybe not as, a, and certainly not as the assistant to the general manager. He hasn't in the second game, as the in his second game, manager. and even even admitted to me, he goes, "Look, if I'm down there, I'm going to work the officials. I, I can't help myself. I see a stupid call, I'm going to say something. If I'm Jason Light and Todd Bowles, I'm not letting him down on that field anymore. No, no, because now he's got that letter. Those he starts working those officials. 
They're going to call. You're in trouble. Yeah, they're going to flag them, and you're in mm-hmm. trouble. And they say not only it'd be sanctions against you, but also against the team. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're holding the club responsible for his actions, which they should. So yeah, I, and Bruce's intention is to be in the Sky Suite certainly in the next three weeks when the Bucks are home. But then beyond that, if they can find one, even though there were plenty of good seats in the press box behind us, they chose not to use. Um, but you know, you sort of sort of reap what you sow there. Anyway, um, it's it's been an interesting week already for the Bucks, and we're still several days away from the game. We're going to preview that game between the the Bucks and the Packers. I mean, you know, Aaron Rodgers has some things he's dealing with as well. Some young receivers. Still a great game. Bucks have to find a way to get it done with Tom Brady and his new cast of receivers. However, that takes place. Also, um, not a good performance against the Houston Astros for the Rays, who were swept on Wednesday. Well, as I texted you on Wednesday afternoon, apparently the Rays are getting more hits in the parking lot than on the field (laughs) in this series. Yeah, not good, man. So the confrontation, whether physical or not, is up in the air between Randy Rosarina and Yandy Diaz sparked the Rays' offense to two runs on Wednesday night. <laughs> yep, it did. I don't know what they're arguing about, and my Spanish isn't good enough if I'd have been there to really understand it. But these are the two; these are your guys, right? Like, I mean, outside of where Wander Franco was busy that night, why wasn't he in the parking lot? But I mean, you know, Yandy Diaz has been their most valuable player. Outside of the pitching, I mean, you can say Shannon McClanahan, and I wouldn't, mm-hmm. I wouldn't argue with it. But position players, he's been the most consistent, in my opinion. And then, I mean, Rosarena, I mean, like he's, <laughs> you know, he's your here's your blossoming superstar. So, and those are the two that have been healthy the whole season. Yeah, exactly. And you know, both of them, um, you know, sp- speak Spanish, and and so there's no language disagreement there there's like you know these guys should be relatively close i would think they're in the clubhouse together every day at times um i don't know i don't know what precipitated maybe mark tompkin of the tampa Bay times can get to the bottom of it later in the week but well, rosarena said it was just some personal stuff that they worked yeah. through and they're good now yeah and look yeah I, of course I, I mean stuff happens in the clubhouse or i guess the parking lot I mean, can you, first of all, there's nobody, and this might include my family, that I want to spend 162 days with and, you know, within 180 mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever they get off. I mean, it's, it, you know, listen, it's hard to get 25 guys um, and, and the clubhouse people and the coaches and everybody to get along all the time. Almost impossible. Mm-hmm. And it was that way for me all through my career in college and everything else. You have your little clicks. You, you tolerate everybody. You all want to pull the same direction. You want to win games together. Um, but there are strong personalities in any clubhouse. And, you know, certain guys feel like they have the authority to check other guys. I mean, I have, I have no idea what their dispute is, if there is one. Um, but it was interesting that you would take both those guys out of the lineup the same night. You know what I'm saying? Like that never – even when I saw that, my eyebrow kind of went, eh, why are you well, doing that? Well, Randy, you know, Randy playing- was out of the lineup previously. He wasn't feeling good. Right, right, and and Yandi was out. They said, you know, he was, you know, not injured, but resting. You know, so I, I mean, whether something happened there or, I mean, yeah, th- what was it over the weekend? 
It was a Saturday. Both were out of the lineup. It Which, was only, yeah, it just wasn't that long. Only the third time this season that neither one was in the starting lineup. Right. And it just so happened to coincide with a little verbal or yeah. maybe even and, physical well, dispute. Two days later, that happened on Monday. Yeah. So, I I, you know. know, I mean, stuff like this happens. I, I just, I got to say, I mean, you're Randy Rosarina and you're going to, if it was a physical altercation against Yandy Dude, Diaz. You're, you're going, yeah, that guy is yoked. Have you looked, in him, <laughs> have you looked at him lately? I mean, all of a sudden, I had I had pictures of Nolan Ryan with Robin Ventura's head underneath his arm, just locked up. Man, I was like, I don't want to go under those biceps. Uh, yeah, I just think. I mean, if it was physical, and we don't know, but if it was, wow. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, geez, that had to be quite quite the scrap. Although I'm not sure Randy would fight fair. I don't know what tells me that. If you're going to fight a guy as yoked up as Yandy, you better have you better have a way to get away. Maybe he came in like Mike Evans on Marshawn Lattimore. Maybe, yeah, blindside him or something. I mean, you know, because because it's not going to be a fair fight if he if he gets his hands on you. Um. So yeah, the Rays got to bounce back. I mean, they had you know. So sw- Listen, swept at home in a three game series for the first time since April of nineteen. I mean, that's that's a long time ago. But let me ask you this question. How close? How close are they to possibly falling out of the postseason with the Orioles about four games back? Well, the Orioles won tonight on Wednesday right. night, so the Orioles are now four and a half games back of the Rays. That's not much. Four in the loss column. The Rays have thirteen games to play. Okay. So it's still you're still in a good spot until that X or whatever it is is mm-hmm. by your name in the standings, man. Yeah, I mean, you're you're four up in the loss column with 13 to play. Yeah. Well, they're, they're on a little bit of a, of a bad path right now, a little bit of a losing streak. Now you're two and a half games behind Toronto for the top wild card. That was what I would focus on. <laughs> Try to get that. Well, and yeah. Toronto's in town. Yeah. For four, starting tonight. You get you got yeah you yeah. got your kind of your fate in your hands. No, I say that Toronto is two and a half up. They're tied three three in the ninth as we taped this, so it'll either be two or three games up. Oh wow! So they're they're not they're not done yet in Philly. Well, they did the right thing with these expanded playoffs because now we're really watching scoreboards hard, right? We're watching multiple mm-hmm. games. I mean, so much can happen. Anyway, it's going to be fascinating. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you listen, take three. You take three. If if Toronto were to lose on Wednesday, right? So now you're two games back. You take three out of four this weekend, and what does that tie you? Yeah, yeah, it would tie you. Yeah. So I mean, you know, you're not out of that top wild card spot. Now you lose three out of four to Toronto, it's probably done. Yeah. Because you well, also, after I, this series, you have nine more on the road to finish the season. Again, you're just going to have to look look out below. Make sure you stay ahead of the Orioles. I mean, that's not insurmountable even by the race no, standards. But winning three out of four this weekend would help that tremendously. That would change it immensely, yeah. Game, set, match at that point, I think. You know? Yeah, and the Orioles but, now have host Houston this weekend. So if Houston well, keeps rolling, that too. helps. Yeah, that's interesting. Then they go to Boston, New York, and then host Toronto. So their schedule's not easy either. No, no. Hmm. Well, I mean, we're almost wrapping up the baseball season. You see with the Tampa Bay Lightning, they had sort of a 
sort of a media day, I guess it was, for yeah, lack of tra- a better training term. camp essentially opened today. The first practice or was yesterday and Wednesday. The first practice is today. So they gotcha. do the media, the photo shoots, and they talk, you know, a lot of them talk to the, the media as well, scrums and press conferences. And so, yeah, the Lightning training camp is here. To a man, it sounds like they're missing some guys personally and professionally. Um, you know, Ryan McDonough and Andre Pilat. Those two, are the ones. Two they mentioned McDonough a whole yeah, lot. Two key pieces to the team um, that have been here a long time. Yeah. That, you know, in the room and personally, friends for many years. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, it's it's not going to be easy to replace those guys. But no, in a salary cap world, and Julian Breezewell talked about, you know, the last three, four years have been different for general managers. Because, yeah. and, and this is across all sports that have salary cap. Because when you signed long term deals years ago with players, you were forecasting the cap would go up every year. That's right. And your plans for your long term. All of a sudden, for three years now, the cap has not gone up. Yeah. Hard and to so plan. it's changed the value of cap space of mm-hmm. prospects of draft picks. Yeah. And, you know, Julian was asked, I believe by Brian Engblom, you know, what he thought of this off season. And he said, it became, there's more parody. Now the best teams got a little worse and the worst teams got better. Yeah. It was a redistribution of talent is the the phrase he used. Interesting. And, and I think you've seen that in football and I think you've seen it in, in basketball as well. Cause the cap didn't go up as much as everyone thought. Right. Going into once, you know, shut down for COVID. Right. And so, you know, it, it's changed the way you value, like I said, prospects and picks and and talent and salary cap space. Yeah. And, and, no, I mean, there's a different approach for sure. We're going to have a um, a chance to do some of the we, mailbag questions. We, we got a, a bunch of them in the other day, but we're, we'll have some time on Friday. If you want to still submit those, I've got a few. You can do that on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. My email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We got Matt Baker, the college football writer for the Tampa Bay Times, coming up in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about May Electric Solar. They're a family-owned business. They've been operating in this area for 12 years. Listen, they guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and service warranty with every installation, you also get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances. That is the May way. If you visit their Hudson showroom, May Electric displays all its products, conducts on-site testing. You can see what they'll install. Plus, they don't use subcontractors, so you know exactly who is doing the job. Start saving today. Call the solar energy experts. May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. You can schedule a free estimate. You can lower your electric bill all year long and preserve the quality of your life and of your appliances. That's May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. All right, my favorite time of the week, we get to talk to Matt Baker about college football, and Matt will get into the games this week. Let's go back to just last week. Florida with a redemption win, although I, I don't know. USF, there are no moral victories in college football right now, and in fact, I still think they probably should have won that game. But what did you take from both sides uh, out of that one yeah well oh, thanks for having me on and let's start with the usf side yeah sure. a, a loss is a loss is a loss but not all losses are created equal i left I, first of all watching the game i thought usf was the better team 
They they, mm. they play the better game for, for just about all of it, except for a couple of gaffes at the end. I think they turn the corner. You know, I, I don't want to say too much because false starts with this stuff happen all the time. Yeah. But it looked like a turn the corner performance to me where it's clicked. You could see how hard they were playing. You could see the offensive scheme working. You could see a uh, USF offensive line holding its own for the most part against a, a very, pretty darn good Gators defense. You could see improvement on, on USF's defense. You could just see it all fit to where like, okay, this is the Jeff Scott experience now in, in 60 minutes. This is what it's supposed to look like. And no, they did not win. But realistically, USF should lose to, to Florida eight times out of ten. If you just if you played it over a decade, maybe nine out of ten, and for them to be competitive, that's what I thought. As I look at the big picture, that's what they needed. So, and they accomplished it. So, I feel better about USF now than I did a week ago. So, that's something. On the Gator side, there's some issues here. Um, the, again, at USF credit to them, good offensive uh, plan, particularly with the run game, veteran offensive line, but the, the Gators defense took a big step back. And that makes me wonder, particularly in stopping the run, and that makes yeah. me wonder, were the first two weeks where they did, generally speaking, did pretty well stopping the run, was that a fluke, or was week three against USF the fluke? I, I don't know yet. Um, and then we got to talk about Anthony Richardson, right? He, you know, a couple more interceptions, one that was, you know, just extremely, extremely costly. Look, through three games, we have seen the talent. We saw it against Utah. He has first-round talent, no question. But he has four interceptions and no touchdown passes. His passer, passing efficiency is, I believe, 27 points lower than the next worst quarterback in the SEC. It's not all on him. It's on the, the alignment to block. It's on the receivers to get open and catch the ball. It's on a lot of things. But zero touchdown passes, four interceptions for a guy that, no question, has NFL talent. Something's up there. Yeah, I don't quite understand it, and and uh, correct me if I'm wrong about this. You know, we saw him in the first game make a ton of plays with his legs. Is he doing that anymore? Not really. Um, I think he's he had 11 carries that game. He's had 13 total over the next two, if I remember right. And, and some of it is by design. Look, Florida's you know Jack Miller, the, the backup, the blue chip transfer from Ohio State. He's he's hurt with a he's uh, with a bum thumb. He's recovering from that. So and the depth behind them is is there is none. So Florida could not risk an injury to Anthony Richardson because that's going to be costly for a bit. So th- so therefore they have to keep you know just be smart about when you run. But I think in telling him to be smart about when he runs and how he runs, they probably got in his own head a little bit where he's thinking mm. too much. Oh, oh shoot! I can't I can't go over here because then I then I'll run and I could get hurt rather than just go play. And I think that, you know, this Tennessee game coming up on Saturday is going to be a real test on that because, the, look, the, what happened against USF was not good. And something has to change. It, no, you don't want your quarterback to get hurt, but you also can't afford to pile up a bunch of losses when you're, you're better than that. So if Florida's going to have a chance against Tennessee, it's going to have to be the Anthony Richardson we saw in week one where he's able to make throws and the guys are able to get open and make catches, but also... If there's a running lane, boom, he's off, and then he's in the da- in the open field where he is very, very, very dangerous. Yeah, and I, I just think it's a. I mean, I haven't watched Florida obviously as much as you have seen him on television a little bit, but I think it's the natural process of a young quarterback trying to 
trying to play. You know, you come out and you make a bunch of plays and then you look at the film and you see where this guy was open. If I could stay in the pocket here, if I don't scramble there. But the bottom line is, you know, he's just got to be him. You know, they got to find a way to structure an offense where he can do what he does. And, and, and we'll see. I mean, what's great about this game, How it's been a while since Tennessee has had college game day there. This is, this is kind of hyped up. This is cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think if I remember it, the last time was in uh, 2016, and, and I was up there for that Florida-Tennessee game. Um, that, that was the one, if you remember, uh, the, the, the Gators had won was it 11 in a row. It, it, it was a bunch in a row. And uh, Florida was talking smack beforehand. Uh, I remember being in the indoor for interviews, and one of the, the DBs came up to us and said, we got a message from DBU. Okay. Y'all have ever seen a duck pull a truck? Excuse me? <laughs> have, have we, have we, no, no you've never seen a duck pull a truck? Well, a, if a duck can't pull a truck, Tennessee can't beat Florida. We're going to win on Saturday. Like, what is going on? <laughs> uh, and, and, and sure enough, when the game happened, uh, Florida got trucked in the second half and the, the Ducks of the Vols won. And uh, being on the field for that one in the last couple minutes was the loudest I have ever heard any human beings be between the wow. band, the fans, everything else. And that mm. was Tennessee's kind of like, all right, we got the monkey off our back. We are back. And obviously they were not. Butch, is, uh, Butch Jones is no, no longer the coach there. He's at uh, your beloved Arkansas State. They've mm. gone through another, you know, went through the Pruitt era and all that stuff. But Tennessee is, is in a, looks to be in a good place right now with Josh Heupel. They've got a fun, up-tempo, high-powered offense, like you said, with, with game day there and no, Florida, this is a huge test for them to see what they can do. I mean, they've had a brutal September where, you know, two top 20 teams, two top 10 pass defenses. This is, a, this is a big statement to see what they can do on the road against a rival that, you know, on paper should be able to beat the Gators. Uh, it will be loud for sure up there in Tennessee, and you will be there for, for that game as well. Let's talk about Florida State. A 3-0 start. Does it matter how they got there? Not always that impressive, right? But they win at Louisville, have some injuries, overcome that. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better outcome, I guess, if you're just looking at the record. Absolutely. Look, if you would have told me FSU would be 3-0 to start the season, I, I, I thought it was possible, but I, I would not have bet money on it. Um, j- just because, look, I viewed LSU as kind of a coin flip. I thought Louisville was probably, I would have expected Louisville to win a, a month ago. Um, so to go out and win both of those is impressive because that, the Louisville game that they played the other night, that is a game the 2021 and certainly 22 or 20 and, and 19 Knowles lose because I saw those games, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Where, yeah, yeah there, there's too many of those where, where they were competitive and then they would blow it. They, they would make the, you know, the, the game changing play would go to the other team. They would make the gaffe that, that loses it. And then you add in the factor of Jordan Travis gets hurt, and Robert Scott, your, your starting offensive tackle, gets hurt, and Jared Verse, your best pass rusher and best or second best defensive player, gets hurt, in addition to being down at D lineman beforehand. Those, those are so many issues that it could have easily cratered. It could have easily crumbled, where, you know what? We, we, lost, our, we lost our top guys. We don't have the confidence anymore, and it snowballs. But it didn't. Even after uh, Tate Rodemaker struggled a little bit, they were able to hold things together. And to me, I, I think I called it a, a turn-the-corner thing with, with uh, Jeff Scott at USF. 
it was the same thing with, with Norvell at FSU. This was a proof of concept that, okay, this is working. Doing it against LSU in week, in, uh, the, 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 uh, week one, that was big too. But to do this on the road against a conference team after losing three of your 10 best players probably off the top of my head, that tells me there's something there. The culture is working. The program is working. And again, let's let's put things in perspective here. This is not a, a sensational FSU team. They're not going to win the national title. I don't think they're going to win the conference or the division. But after the, the struggles FSU has had the last few years, you can see things working out now. You can see where this is going. And you, know, you can look at the schedule and you can see nine wins potentially. And considering where they've been, this is a ma- that was a major, major step forward uh, last weekend. What kind of a challenge are they in for at Boston College? Yeah, Boston College isn't very good. They, they've got uh, the, the quarterback's fine. Um, it may be a little better than fine. Uh, Zay Flowers' receiver is good, um, but this is not a, a particularly good Boston College team. I, here, here's, I guess, the best thing I could say about FSU as I look at it. Now, as we sit here today, we don't know whether Jordan Travis is going to be able to play. Mm-hmm. I think FSU will not have a problem with Boston College, even if it is Tate Rodemaker, even if it is hmm. the backup. And that tells you something about where this program is, considering yeah. where they were last year. I mean, just go back and look at you know when Travis was out. They were nowhere close to the same team. And, and go back and you know watch the Florida game where, where when Travis was out and Milton and Tate were playing, it was not good. But I think FSU has built up enough, or you know, obviously Tate Rodemaker improving, and then also just built up enough around him where I think FSU can beat Boston College with his backup quarterback. And again, that is progress. Uh, there's definitely belief in that program, belief in Mike Norvell, who is going to land on a lot of lists uh, as these colleges, uh, college football teams start making changes in their head coaching positions. Already won. Our good friend, uh, or my good friend, Herm Edwards, out at Arizona State. I've seen Norvell's name mentioned there. Why would that uh, make sense or not make sense for Mike Norvell? Well, it would make sense because Norvell's got some ties out there. He spent some time out at Arizona State under Todd Graham. Arizona State's a a really good – they have potential is what I should say. Some people call him a sleeping giant. I don't know about that. But if you go spend any time in in Phoenix in that area – you know, Arizona is a state that's uh, doing a lot better in high school football, particularly that Metro Phoenix area. Look at guys like Spencer Rattler that have come through there, Christian Kirk. Mm-hmm. So there's talent, local talent that you can tap into in a Power Five conference that is winnable. You know, I mean, we'll see what happens with USC down the line here with Lincoln Riley, although they're leaving. So it's a winnable league, and they Arizona State can be one of the better programs in there. So that's why it would be appealing to somebody and, and Norvell's ties would, would be of interest too. I do not see that. You know, he, I think one of the sports books put up odds and had him the best. I don't buy that. I think FSU has invested enough in Norvell. Um, you know, they gave him an extension. I think they announced it just before the Florida game last year. So, you know, FSU on its way to another losing season, giving the guy another year that, that I would think he would want to kind of, um, reward that just knowing what i know about mike and again fsu's invested too they, they increase their infrastructure they're working on the uh, uh they increase their human infrastructure which it's more people they're, they're working on the football operations center hoping to break ground on that by the end of the year so i i would be surprised if he took that but in this business never say never the, the one know, we should talk about by the way prime 
Oh yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this guy, what a job he has done at Jackson State, and I would think that he's going to get a lot of interest. I I would think so too. And if you're if he if things continue to work well at Jackson State this year, I I I I, I think he would he will be on a lot of radars. Uh, I mean, he's interviewed for FSU, Arkansas, TCU in the past, and I think if you you take that name and put it in a metro area like Phoenix, or you know, I think everybody in the industry thinks uh, Georgia Tech is going to open this year. So you put him in Atlanta, for goodness sakes, Whoa. where there's a ton of talent, add in his sizzle, and, and you know, there appears to be some stake behind it from what we've seen so far. You can do quite well there. So, yeah, I, I think that's, he's just a name that just as this cycle goes on, and it's, it's, I don't think the, the coaching carousel is going to be as crazy as last year. But as it goes on, just keep Dion in your head. Yeah, Dion's in a lot of people's heads these days. <laughs> uh, Miami uh, kind of had a letdown, I thought. I mean, I don't know what you think of the job Mario Cristobal is going to do down there. But, I mean, look, Texas A&M had to win this game right after them falling down uh, the week before. So uh, did you learn anything from this 17-9 to squeaker? I, I learned that Miami's offense has some issues still. And I think we – that wasn't a total shock considering what happened, you know, what they did against Southern Miss uh, the week before, or I think it was, they were up 10 to seven at halftime, but to see them struggle the way they did, I mean, some of it is A&M has some dudes on defense, give them credit. But sure. I, I also think Miami's just some, some poor decisions, some questionable game management stuff. And, and as I, you know, talk to people about Mario Cristobal when, when he got hired from Oregon, I, look, I think he was a great hire. Um, I would have I said it if I had were Florida, I, he would have been the first guy I called. Um, but the question you have is, is, is he a good game day coach? Can he make the right decisions? Can he do the mm. X's and O's stuff? Cause the program building, recruiting uh, uh, and, you know, buzz around it, all that stuff. He's really good. It's just, what do you do in those four quarters on Saturday? And, and there were some questionable decisions uh, against A&M that kind of makes, gives me a little bit of pause about, Will he make those right decisions the rest of the season? And if he gets this train rolling the way he should, that those are the things that are going to make or break him against an FSU down the line, right? Or, or the big games Miami expects to play in. Yeah. Uh, listen, they got Middle Tennessee State. They'll probably bounce back in this one. That's at home in Miami. Wanted to ask you uh, a little bit about, you know, USF. Okay, they go to Louisville. Now they've got to back up that good performance against Florida, Louisville coming off the loss to Florida State. This seems like a, this feels like a swing game to me for USF. In other words, can they, you know, can they get some momentum and use it to propel themselves into conference play, um, or are they going to fall back now? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. You, they, they had, no, they did not beat Florida, but they had a good performance, right? I, I think all reasonable observers would sure. think that. Now can they do it again? Um, you know, I, I wasn't in the locker room. We're not allowed in there, so I don't know exactly what the mood was. But if if they can take the pauses from this and not view it as a sky is falling kind of thing, or are we ever going to get up over the hump? Because if, if they can build on this, the team that I saw, that team can beat Louisville. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt in my mind that the USF team that I saw play Saturday in the Swamp can beat a Louisville team that has not been particularly impressive yet. Mm-hmm. So, And then that would be the real statement when to beat a Power 5 team um on the road that would be the whole okay 
they can do this. They can turn things around. Um, right. So yeah, it's, it's definitely kind of a swing game in terms of if, if it would be a huge boost if they win. And if not, no, I don't think the sky will be falling or anything like that. But it will certainly have been an opportunity squandered as they get into uh, to conference play. You wrote a story I, I just want to touch on real quickly when we get into uh, some of the national games uh, in, in another topic. But uh, about USF Stadium, I know you had done a public records request what did you learn about that project? Yeah, so um, I don't want to get into the weeds too much, but I, I was curious. You know, what we knew that there were three companies, three groups, I should say, that proposed to that pitched, "Hey, let us build your stadium. Let us build and design it." So I wanted to see what they were, and uh, we we got them through an open records request the other day, and was finally able to to look through the 170 pages. And honestly, a lot of it was just kind of. Um, jargony stuff buzzwords here's the team that would do it and, and it's important for usf to see i don't know that it's particularly interesting to our readers but the stuff that did jump out i've been trying to get a handle on the minor detail of how much is this going to cost because usf hasn't said anything <clears throat> they've said very very little um I, everybody expects it to be in the nine figures but trying to get anything more than that usf hasn't said it and, and the reason why is they want to figure out, okay, what do we need? What do the students want? What do the faculty want? What do fans want? What does the university need? And then figure out, okay, how much is this going to cost? Oh, okay, can we scale that back? All right, let's, yes, let's do this, that sort of thing. So that's the backstop to say, we got a couple literal ballpark figures on this. One of the companies that wanted to build, to, to build this used $300 million as the construction cost. Again, we're going to put down something so we can ballpark it for you. Another one said $350 million. Again, don't take either one of those to the bank, but it gives you some idea for the scope of how much this is going to cost. You know, UCF, I think theirs was like 90-something million when, when they built it a while ago. Um, Canvas Stadium at Colorado State was, uh, I think, 220 or so was the all-in cost. So to have at least some sort of an idea on how much this is going to cost now, to me, was instructive, even if it, you know, even with all of that nuance. And then the other thing in there, the actual thing that you can read something into, is the the winning group, Populous and Bart Mallow. Populous said, "Okay, it's going to cost us twenty. You know, we will charge twenty point one million dollars to design it." So even that gives you a little bit of context, a little bit of something around this massive, massive project that we can take to the bank as USF, uh, you know. They and, and Barton Mallow and, and Populous and the other groups with their, they're in the process of finalizing that agreement. And I would expect that to be done in a week or two, but we at least have something, move the ball forward a little bit. Yeah, check it out. Tampa Bay Times, TampaBay.com, some of the inner workings of that uh, stadium project. Okay, let's uh, let's get into the games a little bit. But before that, uh, one that they might not be playing anymore, which you and Gerald McCoy are on the same side of this one. Are they really going to end Bedlam? Are we talking about Oklahoma and Oklahoma State not going up against each other for the first time in, what, how many years when this finally occurs? This series has been going on since before Oklahoma was a state. <laughs> is that right? Wow. <laughs> that, that, that is how long Bedlam has been played. And look, we know why. Oklahoma is going to the SEC. The, I, I expect the SEC, when, when that happens, to go from eight, con eight conference games to nine. Um, b because the way scheduling is done, which is stupid, 
non-con schedules are already filled out. Like I think I think Oklahoma State has a game against Colorado on its books for 2037, if I remember right. So these things are done so far in advance. Oklahoma State saying, "Well, look, our we don't have any openings anytime soon because we got to play Tulsa every year, and we've got a home and home with Arkansas and Bama and this, that, and the other." Which, yeah, okay, I get it. I also know these contracts are broken all the time, all the time. Is it is it always cheap? No, it is not. But if you can imagine the difference in Oklahoma State's attendance for an Oklahoma game versus uh, Middle Tennessee, who, Central Michigan, who they played this year, whatever. It's huge. And, and more importantly than even just the, the money, which is significant for both programs. I worked in Tulsa for two years. I'm staring right at, I, I've got a, a couple bulletin boards with, with credentials on there from, from the games I've covered. I'm staring at, right at a 2010 Cowboy football, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State bedlam game. College game day was there. Lee Corso shot a gun. I was there. It was freezing. It was one of the one of the wildest, most memorable experiences of my career. It was the first college game day game I ever got to cover. I know what that game means to the people in that state, and it means a heck of a lot. It's not like the state of Florida where there's so many different schools. No, in Oklahoma, it's Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Tulsa's the other one, but they're the smallest D1 school in the country or one of them. It is so split between the Sooners and the Cowboys. It is a huge, huge deal to those people. Just like Kansas, Missouri is huge to people. Did, Rick, did you watch Pitt, West Virginia in week one? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, did, that did thing. That look, did, did that look like a fun atmosphere to you? Was that an entertaining uh, yeah. game? Did you enjoy it? Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. So did I. So did literally everybody who could watch college football. That is what college football is. And, and this is another instance where realignment is killing what makes college football special and it it hurts me it hurts my college football soul to think that those two teams would not play every year and it's not just because i worked there and i covered it it's because i know what these the sport of college football is about so here is what i hope i hope that they take a couple first of all i don't want them to take a couple years off but i hope that if they do all right you know what let's go away and go our separate ways for a little bit let's everybody cool off and then a few years later, say, so you know what? That was stupid. Let's get back together and do this every single year. Because you know what? There are some SEC teams that play big-time non-conference games at the end of the year every year. Florida, Florida State, South Carolina, Clemson, Louisville, Kentucky, right? It's possible. So figure it out. Make it happen because it means way too much to people in that state and the casual college football fan in Tampa, Tulsa, Topeka, whatever. Make this happen. My fear with all of this, Matt, has been that college football is losing the one thing that it has that I think you can't replace, and that's tradition. You know, mm-hmm. centuries of history, pageantry, all that stuff, right? Um, all the things that surround the game, not just the game itself, but what surrounds it. And the realignment and the super conferences and all that, they can't, they just can't begin to whittle away at that. I think they're going to regret it. I, I think so too, Rick. It, look, when when Oklahoma goes to the SEC and they play Florida and they play Tennessee and they play Arkansas, those are going to be entertaining games. They are. People are going to watch. But I also think if they stray too far from their roots and, and, and what they have been, and, and you, you take away some of those, uh, Oklahoma State, you take that away, something gets lost. And if you add that up over the, you know, take that over the whole course of the country, 
over the course of several years, things are changing. And I'm not opposed to change. I'm not. But when you lose stuff that really matters, that's an issue. You know, the, the, the example I always go back to, and this is a, a story for the end off season, is NASCAR, right? NASCAR had its roots. They had its tradition. These are the tracks we go to. This is when we go to them. And, and at some point, they got so big, they decided to change. They, they went to new tracks. They spent more time in California and, and you know, uh, doing the Brickyard in India. And, and they, they changed and they strayed away from that Southeast tradition, that Southeast footprint in their roots. And now NASCAR on the national level is not what it used to be. It ticked off diehard fans like my old man. And it's, it's not the same. Is it still important? Yeah, it is. The Daytona 500 is still a big deal. But is it what it was 20 years ago, 25 years ago? No, it's not. And I think the answer why, and, and diehard NASCAR people will tell you, they strayed too far from their roots. And that's my fear with college football. Um, th- there's a way to do this and to grow and expand and add in Florida playing Oklahoma and, and Texas playing Georgia. There's a way to do that without losing Bedlam, without losing Kansas, Missouri, without losing Pitt, West Virginia. And I hope that the power brokers eventually figure that out because that that's the stuff that makes this sport special. Uh, look, I'm, I'm really, I enjoyed covering Florida, Kentucky. I enjoyed Florida, Utah. I am really excited to go to Florida, Tennessee because I'm a kid of the, you know, I grew up in the nineties. That was the game that, so Florida, Tennessee, those helmets, that rivalry, that matters to me. So the idea that even that might not be played every year, once the, the new SEC schedule comes out, that right. hurts me too. Right. Very well said. Uh, we've talked about Florida and Tennessee, and that, that's a big game, obviously. There's a couple others that kind of drew my interest. Number 10, Arkansas, doing a really good job, is, um, I guess, at Texas A&M. They're trying to come back uh, off, of course, that win at Miami. So do you believe in the Hogs at this point? I did through two games, and then they did not look particularly impressive against uh, former coach Bobby Petrino and the Missouri State Bears uh, last week. <laughs> Right. It's it's Missouri State. I spent time in Springfield, not Missouri State, Missouri. Um, so I, I still think the Hogs are really good, um, and I still have major questions and major issues with A and M. Their offense is not good. Uh, you know, it's going to cost way too much money to get rid of Jimbo, but at some point they're going to have to figure out what to do with an offensive coordinator and what to do with that offense. So it's going to be a really big test for for the Hogs because A and M is still a really tough place to play. But I, I think I like the Hogs on the road. Yeah, I, I like the way they run the football for sure. Number five, Clemson is at Wake Forest. Clemson still, I'm still not a believer in their quarterback situation. Why am Why am I not buying that? Because you have eyes. <laughs> I, I mean, right. I don't think DJ Uyunglele has been bad. It's just that he's. You look at when Clemson has been great the last couple of years or the last few years. You know, <laughs> he's not Deshaun Watson or Trevor Lawrence. There you go. No, yeah. Deshaun Watsons and Trevor Lawrence's do not grow on trees. I'm aware. But it, that's the standard at Clemson. And yeah. Clemson has not won, competed at the highest level without one of those guys. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm holding something back on Clemson as well. And I'm still not 100% sure why. I think quarterback's the easiest thing to pinpoint. Then, then on the other side of that, Wake Forest is still a really interesting team to me. Um, just because you know Dave Clawson's done a sensational job there, getting them to where they're top 25 in the country, and it's not a surprise. Uh, Sam Hartman, you know, was, was out uh, early in the season with uh, some medical issues, but he's back, and I, I'm 
but he hasn't faced a team like Clemson yet. So that that's a very interesting matchup to me, um, where I, I I could see that going either way. But if if Clemson's going to really be Clemson, they'll they'll find a way to for that defense to shine through, and maybe for DJ or the offense to make a big play or two to pull it out. Uh, games at noon on ABC. I'll let you go on this one. I'm not a big believer at all in my wife's Wisconsin Badgers, but they're at Ohio State. Let's talk about Ohio State. Ranked number three in the country. That's not a surprise. Do you see uh, enough juice and 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 progress now with C.J. Stroud in his second year? This is a team that's going to be, I think you had them picked in the top four, right, uh, at the beginning of your preseason mm-hmm. rankings? Yeah. I, from the preseason – uh, it was Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State in some order. I mm-hmm. still think that's the case. Maybe yep. maybe you can put Michigan in that tier. I, I I don't know quite yet, just because they've beaten three teams that are worse than Steinbrenner High School. Um, <laughs> maybe you can put USC in there. I, I'm maybe Oklahoma. I don't I don't know yet, but I do feel yep. very good about Georgia, Bama, Ohio State as the top three teams in the country in some order. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was a little bit shakier with. Excuse me, Ohio State, just because you know they, they beat Notre Dame week one, but Notre Dame stinks, right? right. Like they should have lost right. to Cal. Mm-hmm. So that gives me a tiny, tiny bit of pause. But look, their offense is really, really good. They are going to continue to be to to click and and find themselves there. I think they're I think they're a playoff team. I think they're the clear team to beat in the Big Ten and. I would not be surprised at the end of the year. I'm not saying they're going to do it. I'm not. It's too early to make those predictions. But I would not be surprised at all if we're talking in uh, after the first week or so of January and talking about Ohio State as a national champion. That would not surprise me at all. We'll see if Jim Leonard and the Wisconsin Badgers defensive coordinator can slow down that Ohio State. That game is 7:30 on ABC. As I mentioned, you are going to watch. The Florida Gators travel to Tennessee. That game, 3.30 on CBS. Should be exciting. Game day is there. Matt Baker is there, and he's with us every week during the college football season. Thanks so much, Matt. Appreciate it. Sure. Thanks, Rick. You know what I'm looking forward to personally is that first home Saturday, which happens this Saturday. Can't wait. Watch some college football. Some of the games that Matt was talking about, I am good to go. I am happy to be home. We've been on the road for a long time or so, it seems. With yeah, you don't have to be traveling during the college football Saturday. I know. It's so great. So great because we had the two preseason games on the road and then first two. So the Bucks are home for three weeks in a row, which is going to be really, really nice for them and for those of us who kind of kind of follow them along for a living. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Rays begin their series against the Blue Jays. That's a big one. Um, they've got to make some ground up here and make sure that they can stay in the wild card race, maybe advance a little bit as well. And then we'll have a chance to talk to Tom Brady. We'll preview the Bucks and the Green Bay Packers. We'll see what receivers may or may not be available and some of the other players as well. Update you on all the injuries. That's coming up on Friday's podcast. And just a reminder, 
check out May Electric Solar. They're a family-owned business. They've been in the area for 12 years. They could save you a ton of money on your electric bill. They guarantee their workmanship for 30 years. You get $750 worth of surge protection. Start saving today and call the solar energy experts, May Electric Solar, at 727-819-2862 to schedule a free estimate. Lower your electric bill all year long and preserve the quality of your life and of your appliances. May Electric Solar, 727-819-2862. For Steve Bursnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.